Hello, and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from 2SER Studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. The landscape of work has been dramatically changed over the past two years. Working from home and hybrid work environments are now commonplace and have made many organisations reassess the work culture and flexibility they want to provide for their staff. At the same time, many employees have been taking stock of their own work-life balance, placing things like time with family and the ability to pursue interests above the need to work long hours towards goals of promotion and increased salary. One movement that looks to shake up the traditional work landscape is the four-day work week a concept that's been around for some years but has risen to prominence in the wake of the pandemic. Can a four-day workweek provide the right balance for employees while allowing businesses to achieve their performance goals? And what does the correct four-day workweek structure look like? To discuss these questions and more, I'm joined in the studio by Rowena Ditzel, PhD candidate and lecturer at the UTS Business School currently researching the four-day workweek and its potential benefits. Rowena, welcome to Think Business Futures. Thanks so much for having me, Stefan. It's great to be here. We're here to talk about the four-day work week. This is an idea that has been talked about for a while. Of course, the pandemic has brought this topic to the forefront. To begin with, why don't you give us a bit of context and let's talk about how the pandemic has changed our approach to work in general. Look, I think it's fair to say the pandemic has had a seismic impact on how we think about work and how we work and how both organisations and employees are thinking about getting their jobs done. And it really started, I think, just with sheer necessity of people having to work from home. And at, at the start of the pandemic, everyone was just scrambling to find ways to really execute remote work. And then as the pandemic extended and went on, you know, for such a long period of time, all of the associated challenges became, you know, so evident. So things like, you know, the challenges of managing a job when you've got other responsibilities at home, the challenges of having the right equipment. And then once we sort of started to move beyond the challenges of the physical work environment at home, actually starting to think about what does that mean in terms of, you know, what we're able to do at home, what are we missing out on by not being in the office, you know, the missing out on collaboration with our peers, missing out on those important coaching conversations with our managers or our direct reports. So I think the pandemic really forced a total reassessment of what working from home looks like, what it can do, what its strengths and its weaknesses are, and also started to put a real spotlight on employee wellbeing. So as the pandemic, you know, we're living with it now, I suppose, and things are starting to revert back to normal, rightly so, many employees are actually saying, do I actually need to be in the office five days a week? I actually quite enjoyed not having to commute and I quite enjoyed having that focused time. But equally, I actually quite enjoy being in the office. I miss my co-workers. I miss having those times of collaboration and I miss having those water cooler conversations. And organisations are also starting to, depending on the organisation, respond and think about how do we actually get the best out of our workforce now? What can we do differently as a result of this so that we can respond to what I think is really quite a a reset paradigm of what work looks like. So 
Why should we be looking at a four-day work week model, um, or at least researching it as you are, as you know, a potential solution to all these things that you've just mentioned? The four-day work week model is just one of many flexible work arrangements that can, can be considered as organisations are reviewing their flexible work practices. Why the four-day work week? Um, there's a lot of research that talks about the fact that over the course of a five-day week, are employees actually productive for the whole time? So, you know, when you think about the distractions that happen through the course of a day, whether that's through, you know, digital distractions, whether that's through time wasted in meetings, whether that's through, you know, external responsibilities to work, are they actually working effectively for the full five days? So you can for a start, start to think about, is there a better way to get our work done? Is there a more productive way to get our work done? But you can also look at it through the lens of well-being. And I guess I touched on this a little bit when we were talking about some of the um, challenges of working through the pandemic. But certainly organisations have been acknowledging for some time the benefits of looking after their employee well-being. And you can think about it in terms of minimising the negatives, so minimising things like absenteeism and employee turnover. But you can also think about looking after employee wellbeing and all of the benefits that come from that. And, you know, the benefits can really be articulated as things like the ability to attract um, talent to your organisation and actually to broaden the talent pool that you may be able to draw from because of a benefit like the four-day week. The ability to, um, by having more healthy and engaged employees, obviously reducing absenteeism, but obviously having more engaged employees who have higher job satisfaction and consequently, as a result of that, are more productive in their work. So the benefits of looking after your employee wellbeing from an organisational perspective are really twofold, both in terms of diminishing the negatives and focusing on the positives. Where it starts to get really interesting, I think, from an employee perspective, is starting to think about what the benefits look like. So, you know, for example, having a four-day week, many people think, oh, it just means a long weekend every week. But actually, it can be so much more than that. So um, being more focused in the time you're at work can actually be really satisfying to many employees and having that sense of, I can get all of my work done in less time. Having more time to either pursue my passions or my responsibilities or my personal develop development can be highly motivating for many employees. So there's really benefits on both sides of the equation, both from the organisation and from the employee perspective. Something that you mentioned then, which is the most obvious and glaring question, is about productivity. Obviously, if we take out 20% of our working week, the obvious response is you're going to get 20% less work done. I want to sort of play the cynic for a little while and ask some, some, some questions that, that cynics might ask. How do we know that productivity will be maintained or how do we know what the effect on productivity will be? And that is the million dollar question, really. Um, productivity is a really complicated concept to measure. You know, if you're thinking about, you know, a manufacturing context, it's really easy because you just look at how many 
things are being produced. But when we're thinking about it in the office environment, which is where most of the four-day week work is being done at the moment, we really need to look at productivity in the context of outcomes. And then the logical next question is, well, how on earth do we measure that? So there's different ways that we can measure productivity. The most obvious ones are looking at business results. So if you say to your workforce, we are going to go to a four-day week, which means that you're working 80% of the time, but you need to retain 100% productivity. By definition, what you're saying is those KPIs that we set at 100% hold. So whether those are KPIs around you know, sales or growth or profit or market share, whatever those business KPIs are, they need to be delivered to the same level, but in less time. So that's one way of looking at it. There's other ways of looking at productivity around measuring, you know, turnover per full-time employee. That's just a straight numeric equation, which is using some of those numbers again over the numbers of hours worked. And there's quite a lot of work um, and some of the research that we're also doing around self-reported productivity, which is around um, what an employee and or a manager reports they are actually delivering in the time. But obviously self-reported is a little less reliable than the actual numbers themselves. So the other thing that we look at when we're talking about productivity, when we start to go down to the next level underneath the numbers is, well, how are people actually spending their time? And are they actually being productive with their time? Or are they actually using their time towards delivering the most valuable business outcomes? And so for the cynics, absolutely, look at the, the business outcomes, but then we need to start thinking about, well, how does that play out in terms of how people are actually doing their work and what are they spending their time on whilst they're in the workplace? Mm. One of the distractions that you mentioned earlier was digital distractions. Now, I'm very guilty of, of this. I think many listeners are probably very guilty of this as well. You know, whether it's scrolling on social media or checking the news or whatever it might be, that's a digital distraction that comes into your work day. I don't know if whether I worked five days or four days would prevent me from the habitual use of my device that that's sort of a part of my everyday, whether it's work or not. Yes, and I think that what this comes down to is part of the change management process in embedding a four-day week mindset into an organisation. So essentially, depending on what model an organisation is doing, some organisations, you know, will call it, we are giving you a gift of the fifth day. You can have that day off, but you need to deliver everything that you're required to do so that we can deliver, you can deliver your business KPIs and we can deliver our business KPIs in less time. So basically, it's around understanding what motivates people to change their working behaviours so that they will work more efficiently. And that really comes down to being really clear on what do I need to do in my role, in my week, in my day to deliver that and actually being really ruthless with your prioritisation about where am I going to spend my time and acknowledging that in order to deliver those same outcomes in less time, you're going to need to be fully focused. Mm -hmm. And 
also acknowledging that there's going to be times when you need some downtime. So planning your time so that you are focused when you need to be focused, giving yourself some downtime and going back into focus time. So it's really around understanding that you can have that time, but you need to still deliver. And the only way that you can do that is by changing how you go about doing your work. I guess another cynical question is potentially for the first six months, for the first year of a move to a four-day work week, people are focused in, in the sense that you've just described. However, when something becomes a new normal, the privilege or the gift, as you phrased it from some uh, organisations, of this extra day off becomes the new normal and may be taken for granted. What do firms do to ensure that not only are KPIs and profitability maintained, but potentially also exceeded? And how do they stop employees from working their way into that spiral of the new normal and and beginning to take these types of uh, work environments for granted? I think it's a really fascinating question and one that I'm certainly exploring a lot in the research that I'm doing. And without getting too theoretical, it does relate to a theory called social exchange theory, which is this notion that, you know, if I give you something, you'll give me something in return. So there's this idea that flexibility, which is highly regarded by employees, Mm. um, will continue to be motivating so that they continue to invest. And I think that from an organisational perspective, um, the way that they can work at continuing to maintain that reciprocity of effort is by holding people accountable to their productivity targets and reminding them also of the value of what is being offered to them. And I think that, you know, we can't lose sight of the fact that um, there's been studies done quite recently, in fact, that talk to the fact that for many employees, flexibility is the number one rated benefit ahead of pay. But I think for organisations to be aware of that and to, you know, continue to remind um, the people that are benefiting from this opportunity that, you know, it can't be taken for granted, you know, it's contingent on productivity and, you know, what can you do with it? And, and also to understand that different people will have different motivations in terms of what they want to do with that time. For many people, it, it may be a long weekend and, and that may not always be possible, but, you know, inherently that, you know, implies additional leisure time. But for other people, it's actually time to, you know, do life admin or it's time to um, spend with their children or it's time for professional development. So I think really reminding people, you know, that this this benefit can be manifested in multiple different ways that suit where they're at in their life you know what's relevant and motivating for a young parent who has young children who wants to spend time with them is going to be inherently different from someone who you know may not yet be at that life stage or someone who's well beyond that and may be looking to you know gain new skills or other new experiences so I think continuing to remind people what the benefits are that this this extra time is giving them is one way of avoiding that sense of entitlement that you're alluding to. Mm. Okay, um, let's talk about some examples. Uh, where have we seen this trialled? What have been the results? Um, and sort of where does it sit at the moment? Yeah, so um, it's I, I would say there's a growth 
there's a movement that's happening mm. in this space. So there are some quite um, well-known studies that, you know, were published over the last couple of years, you know, with Microsoft in Japan doing quite a short study and, you know, reporting well over double-digit um, productivity gains. There's an organisation in New Zealand called Perpetual Guardian, which did a trial and that's led to a whole movement in that space. Um even at a country level, there's some countries that are looking at whether or not it's the four-day week or reduced working hours. So there was quite a big report that came out on some work that was done in Iceland um, a couple of years ago where now um, 86% of the working population in Iceland have access to or the ability to ask for reduced hours. Um, Belgium are also looking at in the public sector, potentially considering um, offering a four-day week. And there's a number of other organisations that are trialling it at the moment in many countries globally. So it's certainly something that's gaining traction. But I think it's important to point out that there are multiple iterations of what it looks like. Let's talk about the practicality then, because you know we've mentioned different private companies implementing these sorts of things as trials. As you say, this is a bit of a movement. If, you know, there was a, and, and there are initiatives out there campaigning for, for, for this movement uh, and for a move towards this type of working arrangement, how, is the, how are these sorts of things implemented? Is it just a matter of private companies embracing the idea and taking it to their, to their staff? Or is there things that can be done at, at a government level to try to incentivise companies? Um, you know, what's the practical process? Look, I think the first thing to think about is there's different ways that it can be executed. So there's, there's two core models, if you like. So some... Countries and organisations are looking at implementing the four-day week in what we would call a compressed work week. So this is basically where they're looking at taking, whether it's 40 hours or 36 hours or whatever the set number of hours is, and delivering that in four days. And so um, in, in that situation, you're still working 100% of the hours, but you're just doing it in 80% of the days, if you like. Um, and in that instance, generally full pay is retained and also um, full productivity is expected. Some other organisations are looking at it slightly differently where they're basically saying work four days, so essentially work 80% of the time, you still need to deliver 100% of the productivity and we'll still pay you 100% of your normal pay. So clearly there's, there's different ways than it can be executed and organisations need to really think hard about what is going to work in the context of their business, their customers and their key needs. So, you know, thinking about the different um, ways of implementing it is an, an important start. Some people argue that the compressed work week isn't necessarily the best solution because you're basically just trying to force everything in to four days and not really change how you're working. Whereas in the second model that I spoke about, it's really requiring a wholesale change of your work practices because there's less time to do things. So by definition, you need to do things differently to get the same or better outcomes. So I think an organisation really needs to start by looking at what's going to work best for them 
How are they going to sell it in to their, not just their employees, but their other stakeholders? How is this going to impact their service delivery? How is this going to impact other people that they may need to connect with and relate with? So it's not just as simple as turning on a switch and saying, this is what we're going to do. It's really about thinking about your business model, your business needs, and and how that's going to play out differently. Okay, let's talk about industries. Does this work for all industries? I mean, you might have manufacturing where the production line runs at a constant speed. Uh, you know, you've got other industries that are based on shift work, uh, things like the construction industry. What sort of industries does this work for? Does it work for all industries? I think at the moment where we're seeing the greatest pickup of this is really in the um, in the office-based environment because of the nature of the work. So your examples around, you know, a factory environment, a manufacturing environment, um, you know, a building site, very different constructs in terms of what the work is that's required and how it's actually delivered. I still think that, you know, that's a much more complicated consideration and certainly Um, a lot less straightforward to implement. It's not to say it can't be done. And I believe that there are some examples of it um, in the States where manufacturing environments um, have explored it. And also um, from a public service perspective in Europe, it's certainly been explored. But most of the research to date um, that I'm across and that I've been working on is more in the office-based context. Okay. We'll, we'll finish off with a few things. Let's talk about what a four-day work week, if it is embraced sort of on a, on a broader scale, what sorts of impacts it might have on our economy and on society. Obviously, people have more time to pursue their hobbies and spend with their kids and things like that. But what does it mean for infrastructure that's in place that's based on a, four, a five-day work week, businesses in the CBD, schools um, and other industries that revolve around and and rely on a five-day work week? I think if nothing else, COVID-19, the pandemic has shown us that society and the economy can keep going, albeit, you know, drastically impacted by um, the pandemic at various times, but people can work differently. Um, We know that now and we know that people are actively seeking change. I think one of the interesting things about the four-day week is it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's going to take Friday off or everybody's going to take Monday off. For organisations to continue to deliver their business outcomes, most of them will require having, you know, workforce throughout the week. So when people may take the benefit of that fifth day, won't always be on one particular day. So yeah, it it might mean that there are times when there are less people in office buildings and and workplaces and so on, but it's unlikely that we're going to see, you know, a wholesale situation of nobody in there on a Friday. But we can also think about some of the positives that come from that. We know that, um, you know, governments, councils, organisations all acknowledge the um, the negative impact that commute can have on workers, mm. on the environment and on communities. And so, you know, even if, if you think about the potential of spreading out the commute so that it's less over the course of a week, that 
will have a really favourable benefit, not on, only on people's well-being, but from an environmental perspective. So um, when we when we think about the impact, we need to think about it really holistically and be really open to the fact that a four-day work week can be executed in lots of different ways so that, you know, it won't just be Fridays that people aren't working, so everything won't stop on that day. And the benefits that come from it in terms of well-being, focus, productivity, and, you know, as you said, people having time to spend on other pursuits, not just leisure, but, you know, that time can also be used um, as productive time for personal development, caring responsibilities and so on. So it's a different way of using your time versus using it in paid employment. Mm. I think to wrap up, I kind of want to bring it back to where we started. The pandemic has, as you mentioned, shown people that there are a lot more important things out there uh, often than what's going on in the workplace and what's going on in the office and has shown people the value of spending time with their family and taking up new hobbies and uh, you know, embracing interests that they might have left aside to pursue work. Is this movement and the increasing interest in it, what does it say about what our relationship with work is and what we do value and potentially what we should value? I think at its simplest level, what it says is we've changed and people are now looking for ways to do things differently. And I think people are now reassessing what does that look like for me? And I really believe that flexibility in how people deliver work is something that is going to be sought after by um, many, many employees and organisations that can deliver to that desire for increased flexibility, those are going to be the businesses that are able to attract and retain the best talent. And I think that, you know, in terms of people's relationship with work, if organisations aren't willing to adapt how they expect their employees to deliver their work, then, you know, they may find that they are not winning in the talent war. We're just about out of time. Is there anything else that we've missed that you think is worth touching on before we finish? The, the final thing that I would like to say is I think that the beauty of the four-day week is that it really is a challenge to both employees and organisations to rethink how they are going about delivering their business outcomes and really challenge themselves on, are we doing this as effectively and efficiently as possible? How can we make sure that we are really focusing on the activities and priorities that are going to make a difference, rule out all of the clutter in our day, rule out the things that are not value adding so that we're giving people back time and ultimately enhancing their well-being so that they're, they're more balanced and healthier and happier employees. Fantastic point. That's the goal. And if I had a job that I needed to be in one particular place for five days of the week, I'd definitely be putting my hand up to uh, take part in any trials. It's been fascinating and uh, good luck with all the research. Um, you mentioned to me before we started that you're sort of neck deep in it and I'm sure you'll get out fine on the other end. And it's been absolutely fascinating. Rowena, thank you so much for joining me here on Think Business Futures. My pleasure, Stefan. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guest, Rowena Ditzel. You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week. And please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.